Be seated. Well, today is the day that we kick off our 75th anniversary celebration. And as you've been hearing over the next 10 weeks, uh, we together are going to be celebrating what God has done in and through our church family for 75 years. And we're gonna learn uh, some history along the way, hopefully from that gain some perspective. We're also going to be doing some dreaming and praying about what God will do uh, in the future here at Southwind, just praying for the days that are ahead. But most importantly, we're gonna keep being the church right now. We're gonna continue to worship God together, preaching God's word, singing God's praises. We're gonna continue to tell other people about Jesus, inviting them into what God has done for us by his grace, then baptizing them into God's family according to his commands. We're gonna continue to to gather together in life groups and experience a biblical community, community, the power of that. We're gonna continue to teach our kids about God, about his love and his grace and his beauty. We're gonna continue to serve our communities both individually and in little teams of people just going out from this campus, shining light in the darkness of the world that is around us, just pointing our neighbors, our friends to Jesus. I mean, to put it in simple terms, for the next 10 weeks, we're gonna be the church We're gonna do church, that's our goal. And I hope that you are already making that a priority to be with us um, every week that you can. Um, We've passed that 75th uh, schedule out. We're hoping you're gonna stick that on your fridge or wherever it is you put stuff so it can remind you. And I just wanna let you know ahead of time, there's some stuff that's not on there, okay? We saved a little bit. We're gonna be doing some other things. We haven't put it all out there. So you don't wanna miss um, any uh, Sunday of the next 10 weeks. It's gonna be a great season together. You know, as part of our celebrating, one of the things that we as your leaders have, have done is just we, we, we sense that God has some goals for us that we wanted to put before the church family for this time. And what we're doing is asking you to join us in praying for these goals, but also in working toward their their accomplishment. And the first of these goals I think is the most important and is that we would see 75 baptisms this fall. Um, You need to know God has used Southwinds to reach a lot of people. This would be a significant number for us. It wouldn't just happen by accident. And what that means is you need to be praying It means you need to be inviting people to come to church. It means you need to be ready to share uh, the good news of Jesus Christ when God opens a door for you with a friend or a family member, a coworker. But let's just do this together. We're gonna start uh, this next uh, Sunday with our barbecue and baptism. And uh, some of you that are here today, I, I believe, need to take this step. You haven't done it yet. You're a follower of Jesus and you haven't gone public with that, we wanna call you to that and encourage you in that and, and help you do that. We're also going to be uh, having, having a goal to get to 75 life groups by the end of this fall, which will also be a significant increase from where we are um, you know, as, as this fall begins. Uh, we have a long-term vision here at Southwinds to have 1,000 adults in life group community, and we're on our way well toward that, but we still have a way to go. This will be another step on that journey. And also, we're in encouraging you to be part of us uh, as we uh, seek to to have 75 community engagements, as you heard uh, Pastor Chris talk about. And, you know, check out that sign uh, out in the lobby. Um, You can get more details um, from him uh, if you're interested in participating. And then also, we're, we're looking for 75 new volunteers just to start serving on Sunday, start serving during the week, wherever we have needs for people uh, to serve. And I really believe some of you, God is calling you during this season to step out and step up and do uh, this, become a, a servant here uh, at Southwinds. And like I said earlier, there's more. I'm not gonna tell you all of it today, okay? So you gotta come back uh, during the weeks ahead. But I wanna begin um, this message with those things in our minds by taking a few moments to share with you kind of a, a digest of our church's history. Uh, there are some display boards out in the lobby. 
that we work really hard on trying to capture uh, kind of the flow of what God has been doing, just parts of it. Um, but I wanna tell you some of the story, and some of it comes from this book here. I, I actually don't have another Bible up here. If you're really close, you might be able to see it says record on it. This is actually the original minutes book um, of our church going all the way back uh, to a, a meeting that happened September 27, 1947, which is a few weeks before the church officially constituted. There's a lot of interesting stuff in here, but I, I just wanna tell you the story, and hopefully you'll kind of begin to have um, a picture uh, of what uh, it, God has been up to here at Southwinds. Uh, we gathered as a church officially for the very first time on October 19th, uh, 1947. That was when our first worship services were held. And there were 17 charter members. Um, there was a weekly budget of, are you ready, $40.75. That was the whole budget for the church. Uh, we were sponsored here by the First Southern Baptist Church of Modesto, and we, we named ourselves the Trinity Baptist Church of Tracy. Now, for the months leading up to our launch, um, from probably around December of 1946 up until October 47, there were prayer gatherings and times of teaching and studying God's word and singing together uh, in the home of one of the early families that were leaders here, Robert and Prudy Brannon. And this is a, a picture. Um, it's pretty grainy. It's like a copy of a copy of a copy. Uh, but this is the Brannon family, and I'll probably be telling you a little bit more about them in the weeks that are ahead. And then over the next six years, from 47 to 53, most of the time we gathered at a, a building called Muncie Hall. It was like a social hall. It was at 234 East 10th. When I asked in the early service, there were just three people who actually remembered Muncie Hall. I wanna ask again, how many of you here have any knowledge of Muncie Hall? Is there anyone in this service today? And if I'm... Not mis if I'm mistaken or not mistaken, there isn't anyone here. Uh, I don't know at this point when that building came down. There's apartment complex that's there uh, right now. It's been there for a long time, but that's where we, we met. And in a few weeks, um, I'm gonna be sharing an interview uh, with you from someone who was actually a child uh, who was part of a family gathering in Muncie Hall. By God's providence, a couple months ago, I ran across someone uh, lives in another part of our state, but they were a young child attending at that time. In 1952, uh, about five years into our existence, uh, we changed our name to First Southern Baptist Church. And then in 1953, uh, we moved into our first permanent home. On October the 4th, 1953, we, we gathered for the first time at 238 West Grantline Road uh, on the south side of Grantline between Holly and, and Parker, and this would be our base of ministry for almost 50 years. Now, throughout these uh, first few decades, most of the time we were a church of around 100 attenders, sometimes a little bit more, uh, sometimes a little bit less, although there was a period in the 70s uh, when we dwindled down uh, to below 50 people coming on Sundays. In, in 1980, we returned to our original name of, of Trinity Baptist. I don't really know the story at this point. I haven't heard uh, what transpired. And then in 1985, uh, Jack Jones uh, became our pastor. And then in 1990, uh, this property, 16.9 acres of farmland, was purchased to be a place where a church could be situated in the future. Two years after that, uh, under uh, the leadership of, of Pastor Jack, we became Southwinds Church. Uh, we became a church with, with a new vision to reach people who are far from God, and we began to grow. Uh, our Grantline facility continued to be our base of operations, but we became what is often called a portable church. From 1992, April of that year, until 1995, we met at Jacobson Elementary School, and then from 1995 until the year 2007, we held services each week at West High School. We built our very first building on this campus here in 2001. It's a building we now use for kids' space, uh, for church offices throughout the week, for all of our, our midweek activities and ministries. In, in February of 2003, uh, the Southwinds family of around 750 attenders uh, called me to serve as your lead pastor. 
and we continued. Um, I got to join in the fun of setting up and tearing down church for hundreds and hundreds of people uh, every single week. And some of you uh, have, have memories uh, of that time. Finally, it seemed in July of 2007, after 15 years, over 15 years of setting up, taking down church every single Sunday, we moved onto this campus, our Middle Road campus, permanently. We began occupying the Sprung Building, which is across uh, uh, the, the campus, other side of the campus, and that would be our worship space uh, for 12 years. During the time we were uh, in this Sprung Building, we grew to a church of around 1,250 attenders each week, and we began planning and dreaming uh, to build a new worship space. And on May 19th, in 2019, uh, we occupied this building for, this, for the very first time. And it really struck me this morning when I got up and looked outside and saw the rain. If you were there, you will remember, strangely, out of season on that day, it rained, just like today. And, and so there, there are so many uh, more details that I would love to share but I, I wanna get that framework before you, and I wanna um, tell you, we're gonna be looking at some of those things uh, along the way in the next 10 weeks, but I just wanna wrap up this history by telling you a couple of the most important um, things that have happened here. I wanna start, and these, these are numbers, but numbers represent people. Um, in the 75 years of our existence to this date, uh, according to all the records that we have, we have seen 2,426 people baptized. And that's pretty amazing. That doesn't happen um, in too many churches. It, it occurred to me um, this week as I was looking at that number that if we hit our goal, maybe one of you is gonna be the 2,500 person who has stepped forward, confessed Jesus publicly, and received baptism into the family of God. Another thing that we looked at as we were compiling information is that up to this point, we are 36,000 some dollars shy of giving $2 million to world missions, missions in our state, across our country, around the world. It's standing right now at 1.964 million and some dollars beyond that has been given by us to spread the gospel around the world. Now, as I said, those are numbers, but numbers do represent people and lives. And most of all, I would say our history uh, is about the people whose lives God has, has changed by his grace. It's about God working in and through the Southwinds family. And so what we're gonna uh, be doing starting today and continuing on is we're gonna celebrate God. We're gonna celebrate all that God has done here and we want to remember as we do this that, that we are part of his work and that his work didn't begin yesterday. That's a good lesson for 21st century Americans to remember. You know, a lot of us kind of think nothing happened, you know, before 20 years ago or something. But God has been at work for a long time. It didn't start with us. And we should be excited to know we're part of something so much bigger than us so we're gonna celebrate that. Uh, we're going to uh, give thanks uh, for the Holy Spirit's work across the decades in so many ways that uh, today almost, I, I think no one is gonna be able to remember except the Lord, and he knows. God has done so many things in so many lives, and we would sometimes think of those things as little small things, but it's all work of his grace, and we want to celebrate that. And so we're gonna celebrate God, we're gonna celebrate what the Holy Spirit's done, and we're also uh, going to celebrate and worship Jesus because he, uh, in the end, is why we're here, because in the end, it really is all about him. And that's what uh, we're gonna talk about today. Uh, the message this morning is entitled, all, It's All About Jesus, and uh, it is the first uh, message in our series that we're calling This Is Us, and what this series is gonna be about is just exploring who we are uh, as God has called us to be. You know, who are we as his church? We're gonna be exploring who we want to be as we follow him more fully. 
You know, the Bible tells us, Jesus actually tells us that the greatest commandment is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second Jesus says is like it, that is to love our neighbors the way that we love ourselves. And that's what we're gonna be talking about. Uh, What are we to love and how are we to grow in love? And today we start by considering what it means to love Jesus. So if you don't have uh, your Bibles um, open uh, and on and ready to go, go ahead and do that right now. Uh, We're gonna read God's word uh, together. It's Matthew 16, verses 13 to 26. Hear the word of the Lord. Matthew writes, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? This is the word of the Lord, and all God's people say, amen. Amen. Let me just ask that question that Jesus asked to you. Who is Jesus to you? You know, I think um, many of us immediately, we know the, the right answer But I also think for for many of us, the the danger that we face in answering this question is not that we get it wrong by rejecting Jesus outright. The danger for many of us is that we end up reducing Jesus to someone whose job it is to make my life better. Jesus says, follow me. But for way too many of us, it's, we live like it's Jesus' job to follow us and to, and to help us out and bless our lives and make our lives better. And here's the truth, okay? The truth is every one of us does this sometime. Are you even aware of that in your life? We all find ourselves at different times in our lives. We're thinking, you know, Jesus, I've got a lot of plans and I really need you to bless those plans, it's like there's this thing I've got at work, Jesus, and, and if you could just you know, sprinkle a little bit of your grace on it so it succeeds and I can get the promotion and I get the raise and, and, and then I can buy the house and I can have the things that I really, really need in my life. And you know, Jesus, I, I need you to help me get my name out there because I need to build my platform and I'm gonna give you the glory, Jesus. I promise I will. But if you give me some first, that would be cool. And you know, Jesus, I, I really wanna follow you I really want to follow you, but I don't really want to have too many sacrifices and and certainly not that many problems, Jesus. And there's this relationship. I I really need you, Jesus, to to make this relationship happen for me so that my life will, will be fulfilling. Could you just use some of your Holy Spirit power? Anybody ever found themselves thinking pretty much something like that? We've all been there because it's so easy for us to go there, but you need to hear today it is so far 
from what Jesus meant when he called us to follow. Following Jesus is another phrase to describe what we often call discipleship. And I wanna give you a definition of discipleship. It's a pretty good one, I think. There's other ways to define it, more things to say about it. But the discipleship is the process of learning to follow Jesus in all of life. And it's kind of an interesting thing if you stop to think about it. Discipleship is not just something Christians do. The fact of the matter is that everyone's a disciple. Everyone, with, without exception, in fact, we know from ancient history that discipleship was this common idea outside of the Bible. Uh, to be a disciple meant simply that you were with someone to learn from them and to become like them. In the Jewish context, it was common in Jesus' day uh, for, for there to be a, a rabbi, and, and this rabbi had followers, disciples who would follow him around, who would learn from him, who would become like him more and more as they followed. And it still happens today. It still happens today. See, we're all disciples because we all follow different people in different ways so that we can become like them. You see, every time, every time you see someone wearing a, a Steph Curry jersey, they're being a disciple. Every time you hear someone singing along with, you know, Beyonce or The Weeknd or Justin Bieber, who, by the way, is, is Pastor Chris Martinez's favorite singer. He, he doesn't, like, let everybody know that, but you should know that about him. He just loves all things Bieber. Um, but whenever you're singing someone's song, you know, you're, you're entering into their thinking and you're participating in, in what they say. Now, some of you hear, you know, some things about uh, being discipled, you know, and you look at some people and you go, you know, some of my, my parents, they're like, they're being discipled by CNN or Fox News. And you roll your eyes at that. But some of you who roll your eyes at that, you're actually being discipled by people on Twitter and Instagram. Your thoughts are shaped a lot of times by people you know nothing about except they're really good at doing things called influencing, right? We're being discipled all the time. You're being discipled by the movies you watch, by the shows that you stream. And whether you listen to Joe Rogan or, or Trevor Noah and you take in their thoughts, you're being discipled by those people that you listen to, the websites that you visit, the blogs that you consume. And all of us are looking for this. People are always looking for someone to follow, for someone to learn from, and eventually, whether we realize it or not, to become like. See, all of us, this is what I'm saying, all of us, whether we realize it or not, are being discipled, and it's happening all the time. But here's the thing. There is only one kind of discipleship that leads you to true life. And that is the life of being discipled by Jesus. That's following Jesus. I wonder if you, if you see your relationship with him in terms of, of following him. I mean, actually following him, actually doing what he says and doing that day after day after day. Is that how you think of your relationship with Jesus? I mean, are you asking at least on a regular basis, hopefully every day, like what does Jesus say to me about my life? What does Jesus say to me about my job, this job that I'm gonna be working and doing this week? What does Jesus say to me about how I spend and how I give the money that he's allowed me to have? What, what does Jesus say to me about my relationships? about my sexuality? What does Jesus say to me about my thoughts and about my beliefs, the way I, I look at the world? You see, to be a Christ follower, it means by definition that it's not about you, that it's all about Jesus. Because discipleship, true discipleship, always begins and, and ends with Jesus. It's kind of an interesting thing. I've seen this many times in church. Some of us, uh, we, we can turn discipleship into this like personal holiness project and it's like I'm obsessed with my holiness. But you know, here's the thing that's weird about that. If you're obsessed with your holiness, you're still obsessed with yourself. And it's not about, it's not about you. You're making discipleship about you and it's not. It's about Jesus. 
Some of you need to hear this. Discipleship is not how you harness spiritual energy for your journey of self-fulfillment. That's not what the Bible teaches. You see, discipleship, according to the Bible, is a relationship process that is centered on the person and the work of Jesus. If you go to the Great Commission, it's in Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. This is kind of like ground zero for discipleship. And in that passage, Jesus commands all of us, just say all of us right now, all of us. He commands all of us to make disciples. That's your job if you're a follower of Jesus. He commands all of us to do it. This is what the church is all about. But it's interesting, if you look at that passage, you will notice it starts with Jesus. Jesus begins it by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And that passage then ends with Jesus saying, I will be with you always to the end of the age. See, discipleship begins and it ends with Jesus Discipleship is about being with Jesus so you can learn from Jesus, so you can become like Jesus. It means you spend time with him, you talk to him, you listen to him, you become more and more aware of his presence with you throughout the day. That's what the Bible calls abiding in Christ. And as you become like him, you learn to live like him. And as you learn to live like him, you show others in your world who he is what he's like. That's what discipleship is all about. And at Southwinds, we believe that discipleship is all about Jesus. That, that's at the heart of what we do. It's all about following him. We believe that Jesus has made people new. That's you. He's made us new, and he brings us into a new family. That's us. And he gives all of us a new mission That's the great commission. We are to make more disciples. And the truth is simply this. If you don't keep your life's focus on Jesus, beginning your life, ending your life with him, it's all about him. If you don't do that, you will miss what God has for your life. And so today, we're we're kicking off this series by, by talking about Jesus. And maybe you noticed it, but this passage we read is like radically focused on Jesus. This passage answers three of the most important questions anyone could ask. And here's the first one. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. First question is, who is Jesus? You gotta establish that. You gotta figure that out. You're gonna have the life he wants for you. And if you go back to verses 13 and 14, Jesus uh, comes to his disciples and he, he asks them, who do people say the son of man is? And they give some answers. They say, well, there's some people that say you're John the Baptist. There, there's some who say Elijah And then there's some that say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And so if you read uh, the first 15 chapters of of Matthew, you'll see Jesus has been been out teaching people, healing people. He's been, you know, creating food out of like nothing. He's been forgiving sins. And people everywhere were asking, who is this man? Who is Jesus? And there were a lot of opinions, different opinions about who he was, kind of like today. Have you noticed how many different opinions are out there today? I mean, if, if, if Jesus were to ask us, who do, you, who do people say that I am Southwinds? And people in Tracy, Mountain House, Lathrop, Manteca, you know, cities around, who do people say that I am? We could give a lot of different answers. And some of you know people, some who would say Jesus is just this teacher who lived a long time ago and his followers have made stuff up about him. That's all that it is. None of it's really true. People made it up. Some other people kind of see Jesus, you know, he's sort of like uh, the genie that you, you, you rub the, the lamp, you know, when, when life is hard. He's the guy that comes in and gets you out of trouble. And then there are some people, you ask them about Jesus, and they're basically appalled at Jesus because of all the terrible things that so-called followers of his have done in his name. There are some people who, would see Jesus very positively. In fact, I think most of the people I talk to kind of start here, uh, they, they will see him as a great teacher. But they don't think there's anything else going on. See, the point is, there's a lot of opinions about Jesus. And I I came across an interview, uh, maybe you saw it earlier this year. Uh, Elon Musk, richest man in the world, uh, was interviewed. And in the midst of this interview where they ask him 
all kinds of questions you'd expect, you know, questions about Tesla, SpaceX, uh, questions about AI, uh, questions about his plan to like, you know, colonize the universe. Um, Eventually, this interview asked him about Jesus. And Elon Musk started by responding positively about the principles of Jesus. He said he was grateful for things Jesus taught, like, you know, turn the other cheek, uh, the golden rule, you know, treat others the way you want to be treated. He said he had a lot of respect for the teachings of Jesus. And then he essentially said, and, and so, you know, if, if that makes people happy, if they want to believe in Jesus, that's what they want to do. That's great. Like, I'm all for that. And I think he pretty much summed up where most of the people in our world are today. Most people seem to like Jesus. A lot of them are, are, are hostile toward Christianity while being friendly to Jesus. And it's kind of an interesting thing to think about because if you know the story, the true story of Jesus, you know that Jesus literally got killed for the stuff that he said. But people think they like Jesus, but they, they think they can kind of set him on the side and Jesus can just be this teacher you know, that you can follow if it makes you happy, whatever is your thing, just do that. That he's an optional kind of a savior. The problem with this, though, is that it attempts to separate the principles of Jesus from the person of Jesus. And Jesus does not allow that. Jesus made it very clear, and we see this throughout history, he's different than any other religious leader Uh, Buddha never pointed to himself, just to his teachings. Muhammad didn't point to himself. He pointed to his teachings. It was only Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It was only Jesus who said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And you see, Jesus, he, he was a great teacher, but he was so much more than that. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. Jesus claimed to be the king. He claimed to be the savior. And so we cannot, we cannot sideline him by simply saying he was a good teacher when he claimed to be so much more than that. Jesus is still asking today, who do people say that I am? But I want you to notice where he goes next in verse 15. Jesus personalizes this and he says, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And I really want you, each of you, to, to feel the weight of that question. Like, like Jesus was right in front of you, just sitting in a chair across from you, and he looked you in the eye, and he said that to you. Who do you say that I am? Have you ever sat with that question and really thought about it? I want you to listen to how Peter responded in verses 16 and 17. It says, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And Jesus says, you're right, Simon, you're right. And that word Christ, it literally means Messiah. Jesus is the promised king who has come into this world to fulfill every promise of God, to establish the, the kingdom of God. There's so much wrapped up in that one word, Christ. You know, if um, we say Jesus is the Christ and we, we look at the scriptures and, and we see what the scriptures tell us about the meaning of that, here's some of the things that we would see. Saying Jesus is a Christ is saying Jesus is our king Jesus is our savior. Jesus is our Lord. It means that Jesus is our shield and Jesus is our comforter, that Jesus is our victory and Jesus is our friend. It means that Jesus is our hope and he's our peace and he's our joy and our righteousness and our sanctification. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is the lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world and he is the rock the rock who's the same yesterday and today and forever. Simon Peter said that he was the son of the living God and that tells us not only um, is he human but he is also divine. Jesus is fully man but he's fully God, the eternal son of God who created all that exists. I mean, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around this that this man is also fully God and that this God, this one who is God is also fully man. Jesus is the Christ. And he tells Peter in verse 17, he says, Simon, 
you'll never figure that out on your own. You never have, you never will. He's telling him what we need to know. Do you know if you agree with what I just told you, you didn't figure that out on your own. God had to open your eyes. God had to reveal it, it, it to you. We, we can't reason our way into understanding who, who Jesus is. His, his identity, it's not about human opinion, it's about divine revelation. See, God has to open our eyes. God has to reveal it to you. You know, I was thinking this week, um, I've been your pastor here for almost 20 years, and over the, that time, I've, I've had many of you, some of you here right now, who have just told me how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. And, you know, sometimes the response that you've given me is something like this. Is you start off saying, you know, well, when I first heard about it, it sounded kind of weird. In fact, it sounded kind of crazy. It sounded kind of out of place. You know, like a phone going off in the middle of a sermon, that, that kind of thing. <laughs> I, I just didn't know what to make of it. You know, it just kind of came out of nowhere. And I heard about Jesus and I heard about this thing called the gospel and I, I, like I wasn't into it at all. And then I started to listen and then I started coming to church and, and I heard some sermons. And then I talked to some friends and they told me some things that were in the Bible. And I listened and I thought, and then one day I realized, I thought, this was beautiful. I thought, this is true. I, I thought, this is everything that I've ever been looking for. And I believe. I believe. See, that's what happens when we come to realize Jesus is the Christ. God works, and he does it in a lot of different ways. And he removes the scales from our eyes and he softens our heart with his love and we are then able by his grace to see Jesus for who he really is. And when we see that, we cannot help but be drawn to him. When we see that, and I hope you see that now, we cannot see his call to follow as a burden but we see it as a gift. It's a, it's a gift of God's grace. So who is Jesus? Well, he's the Messiah. He's the son of the living God. He's our savior king. Then second, why did Jesus come? Second question. Look at verse 18. It begins like this, and I tell you that you are Peter. And I want you to pause right there. Jesus looks at Simon and he says, you're Peter, He's actually giving him a new name, a new identity. You, you probably know that this name literally means rock. And, and what's really incredible about this, if you have read the first 15 chapters of the Gospel of Matthew and, and, and seen Peter in action, you know that Peter is not a rock-like kind of guy. He doesn't like to deserve this title. He didn't earn this title. I mean, think about like Dwayne Johnson. He deserves the title of the rock, right? I mean, you look at him and you go, yeah, that's the rock. But Peter, not so much. <laughs> Peter's always messing up. He's always sticking his foot in his mouth. He's about to do it again, right? But Jesus looks at him and he says, you're a rock. He, he gives him this new identity. And, and this is the first clue about why Jesus came. And I'll put it like this. He came to make people new. He, he's making Peter into someone new that he'd never be on his own. But it's interesting, he keeps going. Jesus is not just doing this for individuals. It, it says, you are Peter. And then he goes on to say, and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So Jesus did not come just merely to save individuals. He came to create a family. He came to put us in a family, to adopt us into a family. He says, I will build my church. And that's what he's been doing at Southwinds here for 75 years. I mean, just stop and think about the depth, the meaning of those five words. I think as I see that, first of all, it tells me something very important. The church belongs to Jesus. It's not our church. You know, we, we sometimes say Southwinds is my church. And I, I know why we say it, and that's okay to say it. But fundamentally, at the very base of all, it's not my church, it's not your church, it's not our church. Whose church is it, church? It's Jesus' church. It's his church. And what that means, good news here, building the church 
is not dependent on us. It's not dependent on us. Jesus invites us to participate in his work by his grace, but he's the one who builds the church. And you know what? History shows us, not just Southman's history, but 2,000 years of church history. History shows Jesus is keeping his promise in incredible ways. See, when Jesus made this claim, he probably had about a dozen disciples, right? Not exactly a world-changing kind of start to a movement. He called these 12 disciples to himself. There were some others, small groups of people kind of gaining interest in the message. But Jesus says, I will build my church. And history has shown that he's fulfilling this. He has for 2,000 years. I've shared some numbers like this with you before, but let me do it again. These numbers come from a New Testament scholar named Larry Hurtado, who used to teach at the University of Edinburgh. And uh, um, he he says, if we look at things probably in the year 30, which is um, shortly before Pentecost, there were probably around 1,000 followers of Jesus, just 1,000 people. By the time we get to 100 AD, uh, 70 years later, Uh, Most students of ancient history, and of course there has to be a lot of speculation for this, think that there were around 10,000 Christians. So it had gone, this movement, from a small group of of followers in the city of Jerusalem to spread to uh, churches in major cities like Rome and Ephesus and Corinth and Thessalonica. The gospel is spreading and spreading and and, and 10,000 by the year 100 AD. But then you go to 200 AD, 100 years later, astronomical growth. Now there are 200,000 Christians. But then you go to 300 AD. And by the year 300 AD, most scholars believe there are around 5 million Christians from 200,000 to 5 million Christians, which was amazing, especially because during that century, you know what was happening? The church was being persecuted left and right But even in persecution, the church is growing. Why? Because Jesus is building his church. You fast forward to today, 2022, and the number is 2.5 billion Christians throughout the world. This number comes from the Gordon-Conwell Center for the Study of Global Christianity. Over 2.5 billion people who claim that Jesus is Lord. Jesus said, I will build my church, and history demonstrates that he has fulfilled his promise, and he's not done. He's still building his church today. Now listen to this, this is incredible. There are over 600 million Christians in Latin America. In the continent of Africa, there are almost twice as many Christians as there are people in the United States, around maybe 700 million Christians in the continent of Africa. And here's what's really, really incredible about this, and maybe you don't know this, but do you know how many Christians were in Africa in the year 1900, just 120 some years ago? Nine million. Nine million Christians in Africa today around 700 million Christians in Africa. And you know, we look at our country and it's kind of discouraging right now. Can I just tell you something? Jesus is building his church and he's never gonna stop building his church and he doesn't need us. He calls us to follow him. We don't follow him or or he doesn't follow us. Jesus is building his church and he will be building his church until he wraps history up when he comes back. Uh, The stats tell us the name of Jesus is being praised in over 4,700 language groups throughout the world today. Jesus has been building his church for 2,000 years and he will continue to fulfill the promise that he has made. I want you to look at verse 20 where it says, then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. And have you ever read that and thought, that's strange. Jesus is saying, don't witness to me. Why would he say that? At this point in the story, here's what's going on. Uh, Jesus has revealed that he's the Messiah to them, but he knows that they don't understand what that really means. So he needs to adjust their expectations uh, to what kind of Messiah he is. And what he's gonna show them is that he is a king, but he's a different kind of king who's bringing in a different kind of of kingdom. And so he says, you know, before you go out and start telling everybody about who I am, I need to make sure you understand what I'm claiming to be as Messiah, as Christ. And he begins to explain that actually 
in verse 21. Did you notice? Right after he says, don't tell anyone yet, he says this. He says, from that time on, it says Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hand of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So Jesus is king, but he's the kind of king who lays down his life for his servants. Jesus is building his kingdom, but his kingdom begins oftentimes small and unimpressively, like a mustard seed, tiniest of all the seeds they knew. It begins like, like leaven, yeast in a batch of dough that grows. And he brings all of these things about. He is saying all of the promises of God's kingdom, they're all gonna come about through his death and his resurrection. And this is the gospel, the good news, that Jesus came to die for our sins. And God the Father raised God the Son from the grave so that we can have life eternal That's the good news. I want you to notice in that verse that Jesus didn't just say that he would suffer. He said he, what, must suffer. That means he's not just making a prediction. It's it's a plan. It's God's plan. And that means that when Jesus goes to the cross, it is not a defeat. It's his way of bringing deliverance. The cross is not a failure. It's actually the apex of his mission. The cross, you know, sometimes people think like the cross is God's plan B, like God had to fix things after it got all out of control. We messed it all up and God had to think, oh, what am I gonna do? Plan A is not working. Oh, the cross. No, the cross is the plan from the foundation of creation. Before the world was created, the cross was planned. It's always been God's plan. See, the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection is the center of our world's story and that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to die on the cross and rise from the grave to make us new. And then we get to verses 22 and 23 where we see Peter's response. And I would say it's a natural response. I mean, we know it's the wrong response. But have you ever been honest with yourself and thought, you know, if I was in Peter's shoes, there's a really good chance that I would have said this too. At least I'm sure my wife would, you know. But really, think about it. Peter hears this, and it says, uh, Matthew writes, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can I just stop right here and say, I mean, I'll ask, would you agree with me it's always a bad idea to rebuke Jesus? Uh, he says, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. So let me just say, as your pastor who loves you, never say, never, Lord, okay? Just take that with you. You can use that. Uh, Jesus responds. It says, he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Now, we laugh at Peter, but we have to identify with him, Right? You know, we, we've all found ourselves in that place where it's like, you know, we want to be on Jesus' team. We want him to be our king. We want him to lead us to victory. But Jesus says, well, don't forget about the suffering and the death. And we're like, well, can we have a time out here, Jesus? You know, I want to look at this again. Jesus says it's part of following him. Following Jesus means you're following Jesus. It means Jesus is in front, you're behind. He's leading the way because it's his kingdom. It's his plan. It's his agenda. And whenever you find yourself kind of reversing that, like we talked about earlier, it means you're doing what Peter is doing here. You're seeing things from the perspective of men. You're not seeing things in the light of God and his kingdom because God's kingdom turns everything upside down. I mean, just think again about Jesus' kingdom. Jesus shows his power, how? By serving. Jesus shows his wisdom, how? By by doing what the world sees as foolishness, right? The, 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 The cross in the eyes of the world, this is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians, it's foolishness, and yet we know because God has opened our eyes, we look at the cross and we see the wisdom and the power of God because he saves us through his sacrifice. That's our king, See, Peter, he gives us this example of how not to respond, but as we go on, Jesus gives the proper response, the, the response that we should have, and that's actually the third question. 
So we've seen who Jesus is, we've seen why he came, but third question is, what does it mean for me? Look at verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. When Jesus says, follow me, it's his invitation to be a disciple. And again, this is the call to be with Jesus, to learn from Jesus, so that you can become like Jesus. And this is to happen over a lifetime. And I hope you understand that Jesus' invitation to discipleship is not an invitation just to believe in God and come to church. It's not an invitation just to pray a sinner's prayer and now you're all good. It's an invitation to follow him with your entire life. Is this happening in your life? It's not about doing an activity here, an activity there. It's not about checking off some boxes. It's not about participating in some program, even if it's a good program. It's about your entire life. You've heard me say this before. Uh, the Greek word for disciple is the word mathetes, and, and we get mathematics from it. This word literally just means a learner. And, and so we have to learn how to follow. And I want to give you something. I hope you'll write this down and think about it. And it's simply this. To learn how to follow Jesus, we have to unlearn so many things in our lives. To learn, we have to unlearn. And, and the, the primary thing we have to unlearn is summarized like this. Following Jesus always involves denying yourself. It always involves taking up your cross which means dying to yourself. So to follow Jesus, you have to deny yourself and you have to die to yourself. Is, is that on your agenda? Is that how you think of your life? I, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. I'm just asking you to think about it because Jesus says that's what it means to follow me. Deny yourself, die to yourself. And, and, and the reality is we've all been taught ways to look at the world you know, the world has taught us how to think about things like money and sex and power. We've got to unlearn those things if we're going to be part of the kingdom of God. We learn things in our families. We learn things from the culture that are around us. And we have to unlearn them to truly follow Jesus. So are you unlearning the world and are you learning what it means to follow Jesus? Is this supposed to be happening in all of your life? I'm going to give you this Discipleship is rearranging every aspect of your life around Jesus. And I want to sum up what this means by asking you two questions that flesh out what Jesus is saying here. You know, our culture says <laughs> not that we deny ourselves, but we express ourselves, right? Our culture says you gotta find yourself, you gotta be true to yourself. You gotta fulfill yourself. The one thing you cannot do in our culture is deny yourself. And yet Jesus says that's what you must do. And so are you doing that? And then Jesus says, take up your cross. And I wanna summarize this with two questions. The first question is, are you willing to suffer for Christ? Are you willing to suffer for Christ? Because most of us think about following Jesus in terms of receiving hope and joy and peace and freedom and forgiveness, right? Say amen. I mean, and all those things are true. But that's not the whole story. Are you willing to suffer for Christ? And Jesus doesn't put this in like the fine print. Did you notice? It's right there in the middle of it. It's part of it. It's at the heart of it. If you would come after me, you must deny yourself. You must take up the cross, so are you willing to suffer for Christ? Second question, are you willing to bear public shame for Christ? This is the reason Jesus says take up your cross. You know, maybe, that crucifixion was not merely a means of execution. It was a way to publicly humiliate someone. It was a lot simpler if they wanted just to execute someone to cut their head off or run them through with a sword. But crucifixion was about public humiliation. And that tells us that part of following Jesus is a willingness to stand against our culture, stand against our world, be willing for people to shame us and humiliate us. Are you willing? Are you willing to bear public shame for Jesus? 
You see, we cannot just kind of box up Christianity and discipleship into what we do here at the church in this room for an hour or so on Sunday, right? Discipleship is all about life. It's all of life. Jesus says, as he closes this passage in verses 25 and 26, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And Jesus is telling us, if you try to save yourself, you're gonna lose yourself He's telling us the more you try to cling to your life, the more you're gonna lose it. The more you obsess over yourself, the more, the less you truly really will understand yourself. The more you you strive for the success of the world, the more you will find emptiness and hopelessness. But when you lose yourself for Christ, you discover who you are meant to be. And you know, I really do believe that in this room right now, There are some of you today and you are essentially trying to gain the world, but you're losing your soul. You're losing your soul. You're trying to gain what the world has to offer and it's only gonna lead to loss. You're trying to amass wealth and be successful and you're trying to build your reputation and get people to notice your accomplishments so you can say, look how great I am and it all leads to emptiness. It all leads to nothing. But Jesus says, If you surrender to me, if you give your life to me, if you follow me, he says, I'm gonna give you everything. Jesus gives us everything. We lose it all and we gain it all. What does that mean? Well, it means we get Jesus most of all. And can I ask you this question? If we get Jesus, do we need anything else? And the answer is no, Jesus is all we need. And so in gaining Jesus, the truth is we gain everything that really matters. We gain life eternal. We're gonna live forever. Our our bodies are never gonna die on the other side. And along with it today, we also gain forgiveness, freedom, joy, peace, We gain all these things and so much more. And do you hear in that, those are all the things, the people in your neighborhoods, the people where you work, the people in your families, all those people who don't know Christ, those are all the things that they're desperately trying to find and they can't, right? They don't know those things. We lose our life for Jesus. We gain those things now. We follow Jesus. We gain everything. See, it's all about Jesus, Always has been, always will be. That's what we have always tried to be about here at Southwinds when we have been doing what it means truly to follow Jesus. And my prayer is that this is what it will always continue to be here. It's all about Jesus. This is God's word for his people today. His people say, amen. Would you bow your heads as we pray? Father God, we we give you thanks today for your word which uh, challenges us, your word which exposes us to ourselves, your word, Lord, which teaches us um, how to live. And Lord, I just, I ask uh, most of all that if there is anyone here right now who is not a follower of yours, that they would hear what your word says and that they would say to you, I want to be in your family, God. I wanna follow Jesus, your son. Lord, show them the way. Show them, Lord, the way of repentance and faith. Bring them into your family. And Lord, for those of us who already have come into relationship with you and we're following you, we just wanna give you thanks again for your grace, Lord, that, that in our sin and in our brokenness and all the world's pain, you sent your son so we could be new creations, that you could do something in our lives that could never happen apart from you, that we could be part of a family, that we could give ourselves away and receive the blessings of giving, serving. Lord, we ask that you would help us to live as salt and light in this place where you've put us in these communities where you've called us. 
Lord, we pray that in the weeks ahead, um, as we celebrate you, that you would encourage us with new strength and purpose and vision, all for your glory. We pray these things now in the name of your son, Father, the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name. And all God's people said,